Let's pray. Teach us and encourage us now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. May he come to our hearts, open them up and, and uh, take your word and, and sow it in our hearts where it may grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a sermon about what happens when a vision of God and of his works gets into us. If you are waiting for your life to become perfect this side of death, you are waiting in vain. Life does not tend to get simpler and better. It tends to stay complicated and difficulty is never far away most of the time. And so we are faced with the need to enjoy life, if that's what we can do, to find some peace, some satisfaction, while uncertainty and struggle and disappointment and anxieties are our companions. Now that is tricky enough in ordinary times, but when real disaster threatens or arrives, we may wonder if calm, if joy, if strength are at all available or possible. Habakkuk the prophet lived in testing times. If you were here last week, we had Habakkuk 1 and 2, and today we're going to focus on Habakkuk 3. If you were here last week, you may remember that Habakkuk complained to God about the state of his society. The book of Habakkuk kind of opened, why, God, do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. And God did not have, you know, a kind of happy, good news answer. He replied to Habakkuk, I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth. Habakkuk, if you like, complains about rats infesting his house, the violent and unjust of his own society. And God replies, don't worry, the rats will be dealt with when the bikies come and burn your house down next week. It's that kind of answer. In Habakkuk 2, there is more and God does give some comfort, namely the promise that the fall of the wicked power of the Babylonians will come in the end. And so we had that series of woes. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. And that uh, word against the Babylonians, because you have plundered many nations, the peoples that are left will plunder you. But Habakkuk doesn't end there. There is more. There's chapter 3, which we heard today, a kind of standalone chapter, a, a prayer to be set to music, a psalm. And so today I want to look at Habakkuk's vision of God and its effect on him, as we see it in this psalm. And then I want to think about the vision of God and his work that can do its work in us, in you and I. So let's begin with Habakkuk's vision of God and his works. Habakkuk's opening words tell us that God has made an impression on him. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. 
Later on in verse 16, Habakkuk describes more fully his reaction to what he had perceived of God. In verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Habakkuk seems to have been strongly affected by a powerful consciousness of God and his works. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled, he says. We don't know what exactly it was that prompted this strong reaction, although Habakkuk does talk about what he heard. I have heard of your fame, he says. I heard and my heart pounded. And so perhaps he was hearing scripture read, the account of the great deliverances of God, perhaps him rescuing his people from the power of Pharaoh in Egypt, where plague and pestilence struck the Egyptians and where the waters of the Red Sea closed over the Egyptian armies that were pursuing the Israelites and the Israelites sang, this is from Exodus 15, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. Perhaps he went on to hear... Uh, Deborah and Barak in Judges 5, singing of the victory God gave them over Jabin, king of Canaan. This is from Judges 5. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Eden, the earth shook. The heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Whatever it was that Habakkuk heard, he was inspired to write a prayer presenting God as a kind of warrior, just as the old songs did. And so Habakkuk says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Here is this powerful figure striding up from the south towards Judah. God comes from the south, perhaps from Sinai, um, and perhaps he comes to the north to meet the Babylonians who, if they invaded it, Judah, would, would have been coming from the north. That's where they would arrive from. And as God strides up from the south, mountains crumble and rivers burst forth And this divine warrior goes into battle. And we read in verse 11, Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. Now the key thing about this uh, divine coming out, this mission of God, is its aim, its nature. It's there in verse 13. Why has God come? Verse 13, you came out... To deliver your people. To save your anointed one. Time and time again, God has acted in power to preserve his people. He he preserved them from Pharaoh. He preserved them from Jaban, king of Canaan. Uh, Later on, he preserved them from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Again and again, God has, as verse 13 puts it, crushed 
the leader of the land of wickedness, stripped him from head to foot with his own spear. You pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. Habakkuk's confidence in God as the saviour of his people has been restored by this vision of God, by what he has heard and been reminded of, the way that God works, his consistent uh, deployment of his power for the protection and salvation of his people. And so with this in his heart, he can say, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And his prayer to God is that he, that God might come in power to save his people again. Verse 2, what's this prayer? I know these works of yours, Lord. I've heard of them. Repeat them in our day. Do again for us what you have done before. In wrath, in a time of turmoil and chaos, remember mercy. Come and save. Habakkuk's vision of God and his works has opened to him uh, joy in the Lord, despite a grim outlook, humanly speaking. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Habakkuk has someone to rejoice in, even when calamity is joined to calamity. Habakkuk has someone to strengthen him, even when he could collapse from fear and anxiety about what is to come. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So there's Habakkuk's vision of God and its effect on him. Let's think about our vision of God and his works and its effect on us. You might like to be a little bit more like Habakkuk in a way, to be able to say, though the bank balance is going backwards, though my house feels empty, though the diagnosis isn't great, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You might like to have that as your own outlook and testimony. Or take the Apostle Paul to take a New Testament example from Philippians 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. When we face trouble or want, God doesn't tend to make it all go away in a flash, nor does he explain why this is happening to us. But he can and does give us strength for what we face if we learn to find it in him. And one way we can be strengthened is by a vision of God's saving purpose and power. Things looked bad for Jesus. Betrayed by a disciple, 
seized by his enemies, deserted by his friends, condemned by Jewish leaders and sentenced to death on a cross by the Roman governor. Things didn't just look bad, they were bad. He was flogged and mocked by soldiers. He was nailed up to die and jeered at by the crowds. And his lifeless body was put in a tomb after he had cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, God showed up to save his anointed one, his Christ, his Messiah, his chosen one. He strode up to the mouth of the tomb. And picture that the devil is sitting there, satisfied, enjoying his victory with his weapons of sin in one hand and death in the other. And these weapons of sin and death are snatched from the devil's hands and snapped into pieces across the knee of God and the devil flees, nursing a mortal blow and God rolls the stone away from the mouth of the tomb and God's anointed one, Jesus, was brought forth alive, delivered forever from the curse of death. Here is a kind of imagining again of God as a warrior come to save his anointed one, as he did do when he raised his son Jesus from the dead, when he brought him forth alive from the tomb and put the devil to flight. And if we belong to Christ, God will do for us what he has done for Christ. He will come out to deliver his people from the grip of even our worst enemies, sin and death and the devil. And so beyond all our defeats, all our reverses, all our disgraces, all our sufferings and losses and disappointments, God will raise us up to life to peace, to freedom in his kingdom. This is what God does when he strides out. God will come for us. That's essentially what Habakkuk became convinced of. God will come for us. And that's what we can learn from the gospel. To all who trust in and belong to and call on Jesus, God will come in power to save. As God came for Christ, so he will come for me, for you. And when this truth about God gets into you, when you have it written on your heart by the Holy Spirit, then like Habakkuk, you can wait patiently for God to come and deal with your enemies. And these enemies may stick around for some time and be difficult. They may even be temporarily completely successful. But you can endure because you know God will come for me. You can also, like Habakkuk, rejoice in the Lord, for in the midst of trouble, even calamity, you can know this about God. He comes for his people. He'll come for me. There's no need for despair. When God writes it on your heart that he will come for you, like Habakkuk, you can say, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He will come for me in ways big and small, time and again. 
so that I can cross those high mountains and make it through. God will come for me. Shall we pray that God writes this on our hearts? Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the vision of your power and your intention to save your people that Habakkuk has recorded for us here in Habakkuk 3 for our learning. We thank you for the way that you came for your anointed one, your Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that you came for him even in the grave and you put his enemies to flight, lifted him up, vindicated him, set him on his feet again. And Lord, we thank you that as we belong to Christ, so we can be confident that you'll come for us. In the midst of all our defeats, all our disgraces, all our sufferings and losses in this life, we need not despair or lose hope, but we can in fact wait patiently for you, indeed even rejoice in you and know you to be our strength. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be our strength as we make our way through this world of suffering and disappointment and hardship. But bring us through to the other side and give us confidence that we will make it. In Jesus' name. Amen.